Thank you. Good morning to you. We're going to be uh, considering the whole thing about being our gift day, so I'm going to turn to um, one of the passages where giving is dealt with uh, quite fully by the Apostle Paul. So I'm reading to you from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 8, and then a little bit of chapter 9 as well. So some of chapter 8 and some of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Then into chapter 9, just reading from verse 6 to the end of that chapter. Chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's prepared in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it's written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, thank you for 
the great things, Lord, that we've been declaring and singing. We thank you. We have one in heaven who represents us, our names written on your heart, Lord. It's just amazing to consider you know us by name. You've loved us with an everlasting love. We thank you for the welcome that we have there, that we're known, we're beloved and treasured. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it comes to instruct us, to set us free, to enrich our lives. And Father, we ask now for the help of the Holy Spirit. Please come, Holy Spirit, rest upon us, inspire us to hear your voice, to set us free from short-term thinking, to be released into kingdom purposes, Father. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians with the motivation to inspire them to make a contribution to the poor saints who are essentially in the Jerusalem area. And he was going from church to church that he had planted and started and inviting them to be involved. And this Corinthian church was one of those churches that he'd started. And he's saying, now, come on, I want your involvement. I want you to be involved. But it's interesting how Paul, he doesn't just say, hey, come on, let's have some of your money. He, he doesn't say, let's have a whip round. He gives kind of a theological reason, speaks about God's unspeakable gift. He talks about this one who was rich becoming poor. So for Paul, he always wants to enrich our activity with theological reasons. So a man called C.K. Barrett said this, Paul never wants us to do something without a theological reason. It's not, come on, let's just help. A theological reason about Christ and what he did. And then he says this, Paul never wants us to hold a theology that we know about Jesus dying and so on without a practical application. So truth is not only to set us free, but to motivate our lifestyle and our values, our preferences, our choices. And so how did Paul, how did Paul motivate uh, these guys? What method did he use? Well, let's just look. Uh, first of all, what he did not do, right? He did not command them. He didn't say, listen, it says in the Bible, you must give. You must give a tenth. Old Testament was tenth. Now it's 15%. You know, I require this of you. He, he says quite plainly in verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command. All right, so right up front, he's, he's setting them free from that kind of, hey, you've got to do it. You're a Christian. You've got to do it. He says, no, no, no. I'm not issuing this as a command. But then having said that, he doesn't kind of leave them. Well, it's up to you then. We won't bother to pursue this any further. No, he's going to give a couple of chapters of teaching that will affect the way they think about it. And the first thing he does is he talks about the example of what happened with the Macedonians, how these poor people in Macedonia, that you remember Paul went to Macedonia, the Philippian church got started, and the Philippian church was very, very uh, rich towards him, generous towards him, and he wants them to know what others did. Now, that's a biblical way of getting motivated, looking at what other people do. I find it very inspiring to read biography. I don't know about you, but Christian biography has had as much impact on me as many, many things. When I was terribly backslidden Christian, I came back to God. I used to commute to London every day, and someone started putting books in my hand. And I began to read about uh, people like Jim Elliott, who had 
been martyred for his faith, probably just in his 20s. And, and you read what these guys have done. C.T. Studd, Hudson Taylor has read one biography after another. And it's so provocative. You're kind of rubbing shoulders with giants. I thought, wow, I'm such a slug. What are these guys doing with their lives? They're doing so much, and I'm, I'm ticking over. And I find reading other people's testimony very, very provocative. Wendy's just been reading the story of Corrie Ten Boom again. It's this woman, what she did for God, the way she came through. And you think, wow, it's so good hearing stories of what other people have done. It shakes us, it stirs us. Without that kind of leaning on and saying, what about you? You feel it yourself. You feel, wow, he's a believer, I'm a believer. Look at what he did. And so Paul uses that method. And, and, and elsewhere in Hebrews 11, it says, consider these heroes of faith, what they did. It's one of the Bible's ways of inspiring us. Look at others. Look what they did. I would encourage you to read uh, Christian biography is very, very stirring and motivational. We're going to stand before God one day. Every motivation we can get is so helpful to us. But notice this. He doesn't just say, hey, the Macedonians are pretty special. If you look at what it actually says, I want you to know about the grace that God gave to the Macedonians. All right? So it's about what God did. Now, it happened to the Macedonians, but Paul is very clear. Hey, look, I want you to know what God did. God gave grace to them. Something of heaven broke into their heart. Something of godly values. The one who sent his son from heaven. The one who released his son from the glory, the majesty, who took on poverty. That God gave grace to some believers. So he's not saying, hey, Macedonians are pretty special Christians. He's saying, that, look, God gave them this grace. And grace is, of course, available to all of us. The grace that God gave to the Macedonian churches, 2 Corinthians 8.1. He said, God's grace set them free. In verse 4, it says these amazing words. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Please can we give. Please let us take part. And it says, even out of their poverty. These were people who didn't have loads of X. Oh, I've got some surplus, you want it? No, no, these people were poor people. It's sometimes a privilege to travel into Africa and India and find the giving. You think, wow, how did they manage that? How did they do that? And it was out of their poverty that they give. And, and this is a mark of the, the grace of God that changes people's values, that sets them free from logic and common sense. And be careful. And don't forget number one. And all those things that kick in, look after number one first, is what's in here. And so it needs grace to set me free from that. So every time a gift day comes around, I find I need a bit more grace, Lord. Because my inclination would be, hmm. But grace can set us free. So it says about the early church at the very beginning. You remember on the day of Pentecost, it says 3,000 were saved. Then it says 5,000. I mean, the church was bursting. Terrific breakthrough of new Christians. And then it says this. No one considered what they possessed as their own, but they shared it. Then it says this. Great grace was on them all. It's the same testimony. It was grace that set them free to think, you're in trouble. I've got something I can help you. They didn't call what they possessed their own. It had a radical impact on them. They gave. Great grace was on them all. I guess some of them had been uh, converted to Christ and their parents maybe rejected 
and they dispossessed them, disinherited them, which just happens today in certain religions. If someone becomes a Christian, like, I cut you out of my life. And here, that would have happened in these Jewish families. Some of them would have immediately been poor. That's why I believe Paul went around the churches saying, come on, let's help these poor Christians. They'd just been disinherited. Maybe hundreds of them had. And so others said, look, what we've got, we'll share. Great grace was on that early church. It says some of them even sold land. They said, I, I don't need that. Why? I don't have this. I have this. I don't need it. They sold their land, put it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to the poor that were there. There was a terrific work of God. It was a grace thing. And so Paul is saying to this uh, church at Colossae, uh, sorry, at Corinth, I want you to know about the grace that God gave to these Macedonians that was so impacting that and though they were poor, please can we take part? I mean, that's a miracle. That's a work of grace. Grace was given to them. And the same grace is available to us. Grace can set us free from logic and me first and I can't afford it and all that kind of natural stuff. Grace sets us free. And notice what he says next, just working through the text, letting the Bible teach us. You could say all sorts of things about giving, but let the Bible teach us verse by verse. It then says this, they then gave themselves, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us, all right? So they not only gave financially, they actually gave themselves to God and, he says, to us. I mean, that is what being a Christian is about, really. We give ourselves to God. That's what a believer is. You know, it's not a hobby. It's not like I go on Sunday mornings, I turn up occasionally at this place no, I, I give myself to God. and I mean, we've baptized people lately, and that baptism's a big deal. It's like I'm, my old life, I'm finished with it. I've got a completely new life. You might as well bury me. God has done a terrific thing in me. He's identified me with his son. His son died in my place, took all my guilt, took all my shame, all the suffering that was due to me. He took it, every stripe, the things I did, he took that. Somebody should pay. Jesus paid. Thank God we're free. He gave us life. We thank God he's given us life. So we say, Lord, have my life. We often sing it. We often sing it. We say, Lord, have my life. And we mean it. The grace of God comes with they first gave themselves to the Lord. If you haven't given yourself to the Lord, every request for money is a bit of a problem. They want your money. You think, what's that mean? No, I gave myself to the Lord. That's going to have all kinds of ramifications. And then it says this, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That's fascinating. These people... Paul could say of them, this, these churches in Macedonia, they gave themselves to us. What does that mean? Well, it means that Paul, called by God, stirring up people to come to Christ, going on mission, going into further, further and further across to Italy, ultimately he wants to go to Spain. He's on world mission. He's been raised up by God, an apostolic movement. He's planting churches. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And what they did was they started church here and started another church there, started another church there. They said they gave themselves to us. They got caught up in the mission. They gave themselves to us. So it sounds like a cult. It's a bit of a cult, isn't it? Give yourself to people. No, Paul says, first they gave themselves to God, so you're safe. Then they gave themselves to us by the will of God. 
Do you know it's God's will that we do that? That's how God builds church. That's how God builds a movement of churches. People give themselves. It's not like, you know, church going. You've heard that phrase, I'm a church goer. What does that mean? Well, it means I go to a building once a week. But no, no, we're on a mission. We're committed to something. We want to do something to glorify God. In a generation, beloved, that's turned its back on God, that is confused politically, economically, morally, thoroughly confused, we've got the answer. We know about Jesus. We know about how death has been beaten. We've been to some funerals lately, some of us. You think, this is, funerals are a great place to be because the reality of who we are, stark. There it is. We believe they're with Jesus. We know it's true. We've got the biggest answer to life you could ever have that we're going to live forever. Wow. We've got that message. So we're on a mission. And so Paul says they gave themselves to us. They got involved in what we're doing. And that's what we're trying to do. We're talking about the group of churches we're identified with. We want to be at Ashburnham. We want to be involved financially. We want to get behind New Day. We're taking 7,000 teenagers to New Day. 7,000. It's wonderful. And beloved, most of those 7,000 from Monday to Friday in term time are the only Christian in their class. And people stick mobile phones in their faces with pornography on them, say, ha, what are you? And they mock them, they press them. They, I, I've got teenage grandchildren. They tell me, boy, it's so hard. It was tough in my day. It is so much harder. Beloved, they need to be in a place where there's 7,000 of us celebrating, glorifying Jesus, excited about the kingdom of God. And we say, come on, we're going to be on a mission together. We're called to do something for God. And Paul said, they gave themselves to us. They got caught up in this. I had the privilege, unexpectedly, uh, actually to speak in the, the hall here on Wednesday morning, I think it was, Sussex uh, Church of England ministers. I was written to out of the blue. Uh, they said, would you come, please, and speak to a number of uh, Sussex church leaders. Uh, the bishop will be there and uh, tell us stuff about how, how come these churches, I mean, I understand it started in someone's home. Then you got this, and that happened in Hastings, and that happened in Brighton, and that happened in East Grinstead, and that happened in Crawley, and that happened in Worthing. What's going on? Tell us about it. They asked me. It's a privilege, eh? So they said, well, how come? And, 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 and other places? I said, yeah, yeah, police all um, gave up their jobs, uh, sold their homes, took their kids out of school, and moved to another town, and we planted another church. I remember when the Eastbourne Church started, 24 people came from the Hastings Church. And we said, shall we start in, let's start one in Eastbourne. 24 people. I was there second week, 24 people. Now there's nearly a 1,000 meeting there on a Sunday in a great big warehouse. And these Anglicans are saying, what? How? What? And they were really sweet people, very warm and friendly. But they were rather amazed that people would do that. Of course, now, not only in the UK, but we've planted in Paris and Berlin and Porto and Madrid and Istanbul and Stockholm and Amsterdam. People, friends of ours have got up, I'm off, let's go, let's go and do it again. We're on a mission, we're on a mission. And Paul says, they gave themselves to us. They, they urged, can we get involved? Can we be part of this? And beloved, we're part of it here. We're doing this. And we want to help people who our lives are getting wrecked very often these days through devastating circumstances. They're homeless. 
literally homeless. And we're getting another house ready. Already got two going. Praise God for what's happening. But to provide a home lovingly, the kingdom of God, the expression of mercy and kindness. And we can do it. We can do it. And we, so it's so important, beloved, that we're not, well, I go to this church sometimes. I pop into the other one occasionally. I like to look around. No, they gave themselves. So important, beloved, to say, no, count on me to give yourself, not to give yourself to people. It's not even to TKC, you know, whatever that is, eh? But to say no to people like Jim and Tim and Steve and Kieran. No, we're yours. Have you ever said that? I want you to know I'm in. Such an encouragement to leaders. Paul says they gave themselves. And he said, and it was by the will of God. David built the kingdom in the Old Testament like that. It says David, initially with 300 guys in a cave, then this wonderful thing, it says, mighty men came over to David. An army began to form. And it says, the Spirit of God came upon one of them, and he said, we are yours, O David. Now, it's interesting. It wasn't a sentimental statement. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he said, we are yours. God was building what later gets called an army like the army of God. And beloved, we're about, we're about such an important work. Well, the nation is in such need of exposure to the gospel of Jesus, to know that Jesus is alive. There are people who know he's alive, that we love him and serve him and worship him. And so involvement, saying, no, you count on me. They first gave themselves then later they gave some money as well. But their heart was already there. Could you say that? That's where you are now. Maybe you've only just come to Jesus. Praise God. Let me encourage you. No, actually it's a life thing. It's not a little hobby we've picked up. It's our life. They gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. If you've not done that, let me encourage you to think, where do I stand with this? I just come, come along. No, give yourself. Get involved by the will of God. Then it says this. He wanted them, verse 7, just working down through the verses. He says, just as you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, the love you have for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. The Corinthian church was a very charismatic church. They excelled in these various gifts. They spoke in tongues, they prophesied, they healed the sick, words of knowledge. It's all in the letter, all these gifts. He said, you excel in all these things. Make sure you excel in this gift of giving as well. Excel in it. Don't just develop some muscle. You know, some of us might say, well, I pumped up my muscles, these muscles, but I didn't bother with those muscles. And Paul is saying, come on, get well-rounded. Have a full athletic body, if you like. Develop in every way. And, and actually, the Bible is quite plain that God wants you to be seriously committed to giving away money. That's right through the Bible, no question. Jesus spoke about money so often. God wants believers to be seriously committed to giving away money. Now, would that describe how your giving is? seriously committed to this. I want you to excel in everything. I want you to excel in this as well. It's part of being a believer. It's part of the whole thing. And then he says the next thing, verse 8, 
this is not a command, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. I want to test its sincerity. James says this, faith without works is dead. So I, I want to know how the sincerity of it, what do you actually mean when you say it? Of course, we, we sing. We, these poetic songwriters, they put words in our mouths, and we often sing things like, I give you it, yours, you know, I'm yours, forever yours, and I love you, take my life. You know, we sing that kind of stuff. And Paul is saying, I want to test the sincerity. Do you mean that? Do you mean that? I remember when God put me to the test on that some years back. I was, I was in the Brighton church, the New Frontiers church there. We'd been in for some years, and we bought a warehouse. And we wanted to write the whole thing off by the end of the millennium. And we used to have three big gift days every year, three gift days. We're looking for 100,000 every time. And praise God, we did it. We wrote it off by the end of the millennium. But there's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of commitment. And I remember each time, each time the thing came around, I thought, Lord, I need grace again. I need grace to set me free again, please. I remember we were coming up to one of those gift days, and uh, uh, actually, I don't know if you, you know about the ISA. You can save money on a regular basis, and uh, you can save it without having to pay tax. Well, back in that day, uh, John Major was our prime minister, and he started a thing called a TESA. And you could put money in every month, and you did it for seven years, and uh, you could save up. Uh, and at the end, you get all your money back with interest, with interest and no tax. I thought, okay, uh, you know, I'm a serious husband and father. I'll do what I can for my family. So I started doing that over seven years. Uh, and the seven-year time was just coming up, the time of it coming to maturity. So that's fun. Hey, it's coming to maturity after seven years. Also, the gift day was coming. So the Tessa's coming and the gift day's coming. And it met in a meeting in worship one morning when we were singing together. And we were singing that old song I associate with John Wimber, which was like, I will worship. And the girls echo it. I will worship. You know, with all of my heart, with all of my heart, I will praise. Remember that song? And it's got this line, give you everything. And I sang it. And as the girls sang the echo, give you everything. I heard in my heart, God said to me, thank you, I'll have the Tessa. <laughs> honestly, honestly, that happened to me. Thank you, I'll have the Tessa. Give you everything. Okay, I'll have the Tessa. So I keep the rest, but I'll have the Tessa. So it went in the offering. Because he said, I'll have the Tessa. You said you'd give me everything. Yeah, okay, Lord, in it goes. You know, the grace of God set us free. And he just wants to test the sincerity of words that we say. And Paul says, I want to test the sincerity. I'll give you everything. Okay, okay, you said it. I'll have the tester. Right, okay. In it goes then. In it goes. Test the quality, the reality of each one. Now, let's just turn over and see what he says in the next chapter. So, first, he's setting out a few principles. And then the next chapter, I believe he, he's bringing application and saying some more specific things, okay? So, what does God see in connection with our giving? So, Paul doesn't just say, okay, give generously, do what you can. He actually begins to close in. He gets more specific and distinguishes between people, something we would tend not to do. He said, look, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap 
generously. In other words, he's saying some will do this and some will do that. We're going to have a gift day. Some will do this, some will do that. And God is aware. This chapter is saying, you know, he distinguishes between. When Jesus went to the temple, it says that he sat uh, down, Mark 12 and verse 41. He sat opposite the place where offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting in their money. That's something the elders don't do here. I mean, as an elder, when I was an elder, I never used to do that with the offering. I'm going to pass along, I'll look, see whatever. Oh, I see. No, I, the elders avert their gaze. You know, it's between you and God. But God does look. Jesus looked. That's what it says. He looked to see what different people were giving. So that's what Paul is saying here now. It is an individual thing, and he is aware of it. So he distinguishes between people, distinguishes what we do. God does that. God notices. God's observing. We make it a secret offering, fine. But it's not a secret with God. I see each one. And, and this is what it says. I want you to do, verse 7 of chapter 9, with each man should give what he's decided in his heart. What it says in this translation is, what he's purposed in his heart. So when we come to a gift day, or any time, our regular giving, is something we purpose in our heart. It's not a casual deal. It's not what have I got left this month. It's, what I, it's something I purpose, something I, I think about because I'm a Christian. And, and, I, and, and I have a priority on my life because of Jesus. And so let everyone do what they've purposed in their heart. There's no, he says, I'm not commanding you, but what have you purposed in your heart? What are you thinking through? How are you evaluating? What are you purposed? What, what's your intention? That's what he's saying. Do what you have purposed in your heart. And Proverbs says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Lord, keep my heart, help my heart to prioritize well. Help me to evaluate things in a way that reflect I'm a son of the king. I'm going to live forever. I'm living the light of the cross. That, that changed my values, the way I look at life, the way I consider it, with purpose of heart, keeping my heart. So it's not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. God wants our giving to be generous, happy, wholehearted, at the men's prayer time yesterday morning, someone was praying and saying, Lord, let tomorrow morning, let there be much joy in the place. Let there be delight, because God loves, I guess it's one of those Greek words many of us have heard, hilaros, which we get our word hilarious from. A, a hilarious giver, a joyful giver. God wants us to give freely, joyfully, not being compelled, not being forced into a corner, not being, oh, I've got to do it. Are you, do you have to do this? It's a tragedy when Christians, if you're a Christian, do you have to do this? They kind of misunderstood Christianity completely. When it's like, do you have to? You think, I haven't really understood it yet. Do you have to? The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, it closes. God doesn't speak for 600 years from Old Testament Malachi to New Testament Matthew. 600 years. And what's the last thing he says? Well, in the book of Malachi, God says, I wish they would shut this temple. I hate their offerings. They give me what is lame and sick. 
They, they offer me a lamb and they give me a wounded one. They say, well, give God, give, put that one in. It's bruised, it's broken, it's not going to be in your, Put it in the offering for God. And the book of Malachi says, God says, I wish someone would shut the house. I wish someone would close down. I hate this worship. Says, Do I have to? Anyway, I don't need that. Stick that lamb in. And Paul, God actually says, give that to your boss. See what he say to you. It's so real, down to earth. See if your boss would be happy with that. He says, I'm a great God being worshipped among all the nations. And you want to give me some lamb you don't need? And God says, close that house down and doesn't speak for 600 years. God's wanting us, he doesn't want compulsion. He doesn't want what perhaps we could get away with. He wants something that comes from my heart. Say, Lord, I want you to have this. When that woman took that um, ointment that cost a year's, a year's salary, and she smashed it and poured it all over Jesus, and he said this, wherever the gospel's preached, this is going to be spoken about. He liked it. He liked it. And she didn't even think. She's not, well, is this a good idea? I wonder if they'll understand, I'm doing it. There's something about that is so in contrast. Oh, this lamb, I don't need it. Let God have it. Oh, she gave a, a 365 uh, denarius. It's like a day's wage. It's a, it's a year, something worth a year. She gave it in one swoop. Even the apostles said, wow, what's she doing? Jesus loved it. Wherever the gospel's preached, I know I can happily refer to this because Jesus said, wherever the gospel's preached, I want this talked about. Jesus loved it. He loved it. He wants generous, wholehearted giving. That's what God wants. That's what he delights in. But let's just look one last thing before we close. There's another word being used. Did you notice this? Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, will reap generously. Now, what's sowing got to do with it? I thought we were giving away. And if you've got five, and you give away two, you've got three. That's it, you lost it, it's gone. But the Bible introduces another theme, another principle, another dynamic reality in the kingdom of God that we don't just give away and it's gone. We sow, that's the word, you sow. What do you sow? You're not just giving away. When, when, when uh, farmers sow, so they don't think, I'm giving the seed away, I'm giving it away. Gosh, that was good, don't need that anymore, give it away. No, 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 there's another principle they're looking to do. They're expecting a result. They don't think, oh, I've lost all my seed. They've sown it. They're expecting something to happen. And that's the word the Bible uses. And it says he who sows a little bit will only get a little bit. If you sow a lot, you get a lot. That's what he's saying, quite plainly. It's a bit like Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's what Jesus said. Give, and it will be given back. What do you mean? Jesus said it. It's a principle. He said, he who hears these words of mine and does them will build his life on a rock. He who hears these words of mine doesn't do them. He built his house on sand. I am giving you some words from heaven. If you give, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's a Christian biblical principle. And Paul, in encouraging this church to give, is telling them this. Look, look, you're not just giving away, you're sowing. If you sow a little, you reap a little. 
It's a principle that we need to just observe here and take seriously. He's saying you sow the seed. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, you might say, hey, Terry Virgo's into this prosperity message. We didn't know we were a prosperity movement. Now, some of us have heard, maybe seen on television, what are often called prosperity preachers. People who say, now give, it'll be given to you, and here's my address, and you can help me uh, with my next uh, private jet. And, uh, you know, that gets terrible uh, comeback. Of course it does. It's horrible. It's, it's an ugly thing. You see these guys dripping with jewelry, saying, give to my ministry. God will bless you. You think, wow, guy's a crook. And so we hate, we're frightened of that. So we, if we're not careful, beloved, we say, well, we're not going through those verses. But in doing that, we're missing what it says. The way we apply it, Paul says, he will increase your seed for sowing so you can be generous on every occasion. Not so that you can get your private jet. Not so you can be dripping with gold and be very, very rich. It doesn't say that. It says he will give so you can keep on giving and giving. There's a principle that we can get into that the Bible's encouraging us to get into. And it's very plain. It's very specific. It says it plainly. And because some people have messed it up, doesn't mean, oh, don't go there. They think, no, no, they messed it up. I want to look at it and see what it really says. Let the Bible inform me. Let the Bible inspire me, motivate me. A guy called Charles Hodge, who is a, was a theologian and commentator of a previous generation, a very conservative, reformed theologian. It's printed by Banner of Truth. What more can we say? And he says this, the reference is not to inward spiritual riches, but the whole context demands Paul is dealing with worldly riches. Giving is to the natural eye the way to lessen our store, not increase it. The Bible says it's his way to increase it. That's what Charles Hodge says. He says this, it's edifying to notice the difference between divine wisdom and the wisdom of men. Human wisdom says it's wrong to appeal to any selfish motive. Divine wisdom tells us, tells all who thus deny themselves that they most effectively promote their own interests. It's right to present to men the divinely ordained consequences of their actions as motives to control their conduct. It's right to tell men that obedience to God, devotion to His glory, and the good of others will effectually promote their own welfare. It's a biblical principle. Give, it will be given to you. Sometimes we don't know how. It'll come back. But I, I mean, we've been involved in this kind of ministry for many years. We've raised lots of money because of Bible weeks and church buildings and stuff. The number of stories I've been told, the things that people never knew was going to happen. I had a tax rebate. This happened, that happened, all kinds of things. God gave us, someone gave us this, someone, all kinds of things because people said, I'm going to believe this, I'm going to trust God. I want to put God first. And to be honest, beloved, it's quite good having gift days because it means at least three times a year or however many times we do it, we can kind of focus on giving for a while. 
and we can ponder its importance because it, Jesus said so much about it, so much about it. It's very fundamental that we don't put our trust in money, we put our trust in God. It's again and again and again. But say, Lord, you have made these promises that you will provide. You're the provider. And so I think when it says of purpose of heart, we, we need to, when we become, some of us may be new believers, it's one of the things you need to think through. As a single man, you know, when I first got my job, I think, well, what am I going to do? When you first get married, you know, one husband and wife, and you just talk about, what are we going to do? What, how are we going to set it? What are we going to pitch it? Maybe each year, we said, what are we, we going to do with it this year? We may, have set, we may have put a standing order in place. We're going to keep it there. So we, what are we going to do with it? We do it with purpose. We do it with faith. We do it. God will prioritize. We will put God first. So that we're building our lives, putting God first. And he said, well, I can't afford it. Well, do we trust God? I know for Wendy and me, she, we had five kids. She did most of us shopping at jumbo sales. He said, well, we don't do that. Yeah, we did that. Lots of that. But we put money for God first. Over the years, God provides, God provides. Sometimes it's very quick, sometimes it's surprising. But God meets our needs according to what he said. He promised it. He promised it. I can't believe what God's done in terms of his faithfulness over the years. So many could testify. Let me read you a story that a, a young woman in the church gave me some time back. And uh, I've always thought it was so beautifully expressed. So just let me read it to you quite quickly. For quite some time, I wanted to visit my friend in Mexico. I found a cheap flight departing at the end of April, but didn't book it immediately. In February, we had our gift day. I prayed about what to give, decided on a figure. Then God challenged me about it, so I upped it a bit. I put the check and paperwork into the envelope, sealed it, drove off to Sunday church. Terry was preaching on giving, and that was naturally for our gift day. I thought I'd listen quite attentively to the message, agree wholeheartedly with it, and put my gift in the offering. It was a sort of closed envelope, closed mind mentality. You don't really have to listen hard to a message on giving if you've already decided what you're going to give. Anyway, God had other ideas. As Terry spoke, the Holy Spirit crept up on me and suggested that maybe I could give more. By the end of the sermon, I was externally my usual calm and collected self, but inwardly there was a war going on. What about Mexico? I protested to God. You know I haven't got enough. If I give more, there's no way I can go. The band came up together for the final song. I glanced at the offering bowls at the front. Everyone stood to sing and go forward with their gifts. I remained seated wrestling over what to do, crying out to God for direction. Is this you? Is this me? Is this the enemy, I asked. I don't want to be forced into something that you're not saying at all. Maybe I'm just getting stressed out over this. I prayed about my gift I, and what I'm giving. I believe you told me to. Why do I feel uneasy? People all around were singing and streaming forward. Then God spoke. It had to be his voice because I could never have made up what he said or said it in the way he did. Frankly, I was bracing myself for the words, yes, I want you to give more. This is the figure. Instead, he, he responded in such tenderness. He said, I know I approved your gift before you got to the meeting. And then, and almost I felt with a fatherly smile, he added, 
but wouldn't it be fun to give more? Fun, I repeated, pondering the idea for a few seconds and fingering the nicely sealed envelope in my hands. Fun? I think it would be quite fun to go to Mexico. But God's gentle approach and gracious answer caught me totally off guard. Finally, I opened the envelope, wrote out a check for double my original figure, changed the paperwork, stuffed everything back into the envelope, which I sealed as best as I could, got up, put my gift in the offering, probably the last person to do so. As I returned to my seat, joined in the final song, I felt happy, but I couldn't deny there were tears in my eyes because of this sacrifice. It was costing me something. Needless to say, from that point on, the thought of going to Mexico was far from me. Until the next week, I received an unexpected letter from my mother. Daddy and I would like to give you some money for a new kitchen extension, she wrote. We'll give you half the money this month and the rest later. What was that figure? It was, was it five times I'd been given? Ten times? Twenty times? No, none of these things. God multiplied my gift by 22 times. So where's that number in Scripture? Written into verses like, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. My lap was brimming with provision from God and my heart with gratitude to him. But the story didn't end there. For over 20 years as a Christian, I've operated a receive and give principle. Whenever I'm given money, I give at least 10% of it away. And sometimes a lot more than that. Now in this case, I naturally wanted to honor my parents by using their money for the new kitchen extension, which by the way was badly needed. But no sooner was the first installment in my bank account than I was thinking, what shall I do about the tithe? One morning, God gave me the answer. Go to Mexico, he said. Give the pastor's family a holiday by the sea and pay for it all. We saw the sights, sat on the beach, swam in the sea, went on boat trips, had meals in restaurants. I drank massive pina coladas, all at the Heavenly Father's expense. One day we were sitting on an inflatable banana boat, being towed along by a speedboat. The children were squealing with joy as we hit the waves, and God spoke to me. Wasn't it fun to give more, he said. At the end of week two, I took all my remaining traveler's checks to the bank, cashed them, bought everyone lunch, purchased a few presents to take home, and give to the pastor's family what I had left. All I had was a small sum. Mexico is a happy memory now. I'm rejoicing over a beautiful new kitchen extension. Both are signs of God's amazing faithfulness to me. But maybe the greatest highlight is hidden in a day when I passed another test of faith, the day when God took me out of my comfort zone and said, wouldn't it be fun? to give more, and I believed him. Many, I'm sure, in this room, many believers from all over could say, no, I've found that, I proved that. I felt God prompted me. I felt God asked, invited me, and I felt, yeah, I'm gonna go for it. And the stories that can be told, stories that can be told, I'm so thrilled I'm hearing stories coming back from my kids as they're building this way. Amazing thing 
One of my sons is in Ipswich. They just bought a cinema for their church. Great big building. They've grown and grown. Now they've bought this cinema for their church. Great, big offering days. Big offering days. And they, they wrote and they said, Dad, we, we went out on a limb. And what happened is amazing, amazing. You, so many can tell stories. God is faithful. We've been singing. He's a faithful, faithful God. And Paul writes to this church saying, come on, this is what happened to these Macedonians. They received grace. They said, let's give. But you can't afford, yeah, but I want to give anyway. I want to give anyway. I want to trust God. And then Paul is saying to us, come on, let's believe him. That actually, we're not just giving away. We are sowing in the ground. We're sowing in the ground. We're trusting him with that because he's made promises to us. So what we do is a spiritual exercise, a spiritual exercise that says, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. I want you to provide. And we do. We so much want to do the things God's called us to do. God's raising us up as a people. We want to help the homeless. People's lives are getting wrecked today by all kinds of events. So often out of their control, they get damaged, beaten up, and they don't have a home. We can provide a home for people, put them back on their feet, bring them even into the body of Christ, find life. We can help send our kids away to New Day, Ashburn. So we can say, go on, get in a place where you get inspired, motivated. We're helping forward the move of God. We want to help the body of Christ advance, bringing the gospel to our generation. Amen. So what we're doing is part of a much, much bigger thing. And God's inviting us to get involved.